one or sliteragency.com. Rockland Cider Works, upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm. New York State produced beer, wine, spirits, and gluten-free hard cider made from New York State apples and live music throughout December. Rockland Cider Works, upstate on Stryker Road in Gilboa. Details at rocklandciderworks.com. Hi, I'm William Duke, host of Spiritual Solutions. Alternate Monday afternoons from 1 to 2, right here on WIOX Roxbury. Community radio, live and local in New York's Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and on MTC Cable Channel 20 and WIOXradio.org. Listening to WIOX Community Radio live and local in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones. This is from the forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest related topic with Ryan and Zane. Zane, how's it going? Good. Good. What have you been up to? Uh, I've had a small project at home. Um, I'm refinishing a table my wife and I have, and uh, it's it's a hardwood table, and it's got like this uh, lacquer on it that gives it kind of this kind of ugly color to it. So my wife uh, had me strip the whole thing, sand it, and now I'm staining it. Ah, oh, Jesus! So it's tell you. I've never done anything like this before, and uh, <laughs> I've seen uh, now that I've stained it, I've seen some spots where I probably could have sanded it a little bit better and. So, it's slow going. Well, but you should have talked to me first. Yeah, yeah. I should have talked to Gary. I could help you a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah really, Zane. It was uh, um, all right. Yeah, the biggest thing after you uh, strip it, you have to put mineral spirits on it yeah. to clean the what those spots are. Is 
strip that was got absorbed into the grain. It isn't it had nothing to do with your sanding, but what, learn what, something right there. Bam. What does the mineral spirits neutralizes that and eats it and takes it out. Okay. What is mineral spirits, do you know? It's uh, I have no idea. It's just type of alcohol or something, but Well it's not alcohol. It's gotta Al- be oil, right? Al- it's an oil, yeah. yeah. I don't know what the hell it is. I gotta go look at it, you know. It's it's an oil base. You know, it'll mix with an oil based finish. You can thin certain stuff with it, but alcohol based finishes you can't. So what if in those little small spots that they didn't get the stain, I can see some of that lacquer it's still kinda of cracked on there. Can I put rub, rub a little mineral spirit on that and let it sit? I would uh, you know, get uh what sandpaper are you using? Just uh lower grit sandpaper that's just hanging around like 120 probably yeah initially and then as I, as it went on i used a finer grain right grit but you know uh, <clears throat> mineral spirits you can't use wet dry sandpaper you just you put it on and then you would sand it with like a 220 grit okay and then put another coat on and but you should have used a sanding sealer for the first coat and you can't, you know, straight polys like building a house without a foundation. Well, if you're on, if you're just listening, though, that third voice is Mr. Mead. How Mr. you doing, Gary folks? Mead. Every third Wednesday we have Gary come on. Um, he's going to talk about tonight materials used to build a teepee. Um, what have I been up to is just, uh, well, it's Santa Claus time in my house, you know. <laughs> It's very big, exciting. It, it's a big deal, you know. It I is. got four kids, uh, ranging from four to ten, and uh, oh, it's the best time of your they life. Are, right now. Um, yeah. They're making Christmas lists. They've already sent them out, actually. Mailed, yep. mailed a bunch. They all got up to the North Pole. Nice. The damn elf is moving, playing up his shenanigans every night, moving around. The elf on the show. Today I caught him on the floor on the di- on Tanner's t- uh, toy dinosaur. <laughs> you know, it's weird. You know, you watch. Uh, I went to the living room last night, and the little guy is just, like, sitting on the, cou- on the couch. I'm like, what are you thinking about? He's like, I'm just thinking about the elf. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't get better than that, yeah. And so, yeah, but, you know, hunting season's <clears throat> over for me. Um, it's, uh, I'm just waiting for sugaring now. I'll tell mm-hmm. you what. You could tap a tree right now and run like hell, but yeah. um, it looks like the the highs are going back into the 30s after Christmas, which uh, I think is appropriate. Right. I I would like if it was up to me in the perfect world to tap in February, mm-hmm. but last year was the whole damn winter was sugaring season. Yeah. <laughs> it was highs in the upper 30s and 40s during the day, and and lows in the 20s, below freezing. So you could have tapped. Anytime between January and March, for the most part, in the Catskills. But hopefully we get at least a January that's kind of cold. Yeah. And I don't know. We'll, well see. We'll see. The trees don't care. I, I can say that. They don't care if it gets, if we have a winter and then and then we don't. They just run. Yeah. I, I don't, I've learned that. They don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long. They just go with the weather. And they go do. With they, the, they go with the flow. They, they literally go with the flow. <laughs> They do their own thing. But, um, yeah, the only thing I can say for sure, may, well, not for sure. I can't say anything for sure. But if it's been droughty, which it has not been now, no, it's not. They, they, they tend to have um, run less if there's just less water in the ground. I remember uh, the forester from Frost Valley, he kind of 
had evidence of that. He, they really took some numbers and stuff with rainfall and whatnot going into the sap season, and the only thing he could con- conclude was that if it's dry, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of you would that think, yeah, sense. that makes sense, right? Yeah, it does. Totally makes sense. Yeah. But the ground is well saturated. Yes. Well, we had a wet summer and we had a wet autumn. I mean, very wet. Wet as hell. I think my yard is just the wettest I've ever had it. Well, I see ponds all over the place <clears throat> and yeah. yeah we were hydrated before that last rain we got and you know margaret was on red alert there for a while because yeah. i mean it stopped raining and turned cold just in the nick of time because it was starting to become a little obnoxious people were getting nervous and uh I mean, it was, remember, um, I don't know, 2008, 2012 or so, that was rainy in Margaretville. Yep. It seemed like the water was hovering around the Freshtown loading dock yep. every, commonly, <laughs> right? Get three to five inches of rain and boom, it'd be right, is yep. it going to flood again? Is it going to flood again? Uh, and then Irene happened, but. Yeah, we had all that snow sitting on the ground, right? And that all melted off and added. added well, there wasn't to, much down in the valleys, but up in the mountains, there was up to a foot. Well, Irene was August. Irene that was, was August. August. Yeah, that was August of 2001. And that was the quietest storm I ever witnessed Yeah. in my life. It just rained all night, and I got up in the morning, and it was, you know, I didn't feel any threat at all through the night yeah. from it. Because usually storms, there's wind blowing, and nah, yeah. power's going on and off, and, and you know, it was just, just a steady downpour, and, you know, I got up in the morning, and you know, sirens started going off yep. at three or four in the morning, and you know, I opened my door and it sounded like a jet airliner taking off. And what it was was a, a river that was rushing down. I mean, it came all the way up to the railroad tracks in Arkville. I, I must have been right near you because I went. I was living in Arkville then. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah, I went down to where the pizza place was by the tracks. Yeah, that's as far as you could get by, yep. by about Donatello's Pizza there. That was it. And it was about. Eh, maybe five, ten feet from the tracks, and I got a piece of firewood because it stopped raining, and I put it at the edge of the water. Yeah. And after an hour, it was a foot away, and then you know two foot away, and I thought, thank God it's going down. And yeah. then later that afternoon, I went to Margaretville. I just cried. <laughs> you know, it woke me up. We were drinking quite a bit the night before coming you, from a come on concert, right. <laughs> so. We we got back really late from Bethel. It was Stevie Nicks was playing. Oh, all right, yeah. I don't, you know, Sarah wanted to see Stevie Nicks. She's mm-hmm. in the Fleetwood Mac. So we drove over Cross Mountain that night, and I remember we stopped to listen to the rain come down. It's yeah. crazy. And then we drove back, went to bed very late, and um, what woke me up in the morning was just like you said, it wasn't the wind. It was a cow. Remember that guy who had a cow on uh, Pavilion Road? There was one cow. At the oh, end. yeah, that yeah. was Eddie Banks. Okay, I don't know who he was. Yeah. But he had the cow on the railroad tracks. To, that was the only place that was, didn't have water. Yeah. And I heard the cow, and I was like, what the hell is a cow doing on the road? I had to think where there was a cow. I was like, there is a guy who has a cow. but And you, all you see is a cow on top of the rail, of the No, it was actually a steer, yeah. Oh, it was a steer. I don't know what yeah. it was. Yeah. And Because, um, you know, I, I went to school as a guy, and yeah, he's just... he's. He's all right. You know, yeah. he's, he's harmless. Well, he had the steer up there. Yep. And but I remember that it. steer because I used to go down to, you know, the pavilion 
and I'd see him out working his garden or something. I'd stop and say hi, and it's, you know, but he had it for years. It's like, he said, oh, I, I can't kill it and eat it because it's my pet now. Right. <laughs> so he, uh, he, he, he actually got a, a bull calf. I think it might have from, uh, you know, up in Johnson, uh, Tim Johnson's. <clears throat> and, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, bought it for 15 bucks or whatever and raised it and fell in love with it and couldn't eat it. <laughs> but he was there for years. He built a little barn for it and everything. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, one more thing before we go into the teepee building here. Um, I just remember, too, that morning, there was a big thing floating below my house because where I rented was right above the whole, you know, the floodplain. So the water's right below. Right. I was like, look at that volleyball washed up, you know? Were you across from Titan then? Yeah. Yeah. So I looked down, I'm like, oh, there's a volleyball down there. I mean, there's all sorts of crap. There's propane tanks flowing around and everything. Oh. I go down there, and uh, it wasn't a volleyball. It was the biggest damn uh, puffball mushroom i ever seen. <laughs> really? <laughs> that thing was huge, yeah. That was one good thing. <laughs> wow. That, uh, yeah, it was that size. It was It was like... You fished totally, it out? But yeah, I ate it. <laughs> Yeah, I saw the propane tanks. Yeah, push some propane tanks out of the way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's all I smelled was propane and fuel oil that morning too. That was like running. That was wild. Yeah, yeah. So so anyway, talk about materials used to build a teepee, huh, Gary? I mean, we did a longhouse last month. Last month we. I I got thinking a a couple weeks after. I thought, well, why don't we, you know, keep on the Indian thing and. And build a teepee. Back when I, uh, I was a scout leader for uh, 19 years or so. And, and uh, you know, camperies and uh, mostly uh, uh, spring camperies and fall camperies. You know, we would bring poles and, and put a teepee up. And, you know, we didn't, uh, I just went up to my property in New Kingston. I cut, you know, 25 to 30 foot poles you know, three inches maybe at the base and, you know, taper it up to... And, you know, this is another thing that, you know, you folks can do to thin out some of the... You know, you you have to kind of prune trees around your property, whether you use them for kindling wood or whatever. <clears throat> you know, you take the... You cull them out and let the the good ones have the light and, the, and, and, you know, the nourishment they need. It is important to cull stuff out. So, you know, longhouses and teepees are... Something you know you could put on your property and and uh, you know use the you know the resources that's right there that needs to be taken away anyhow, and if nothing else, uh, you know cut them down and use them for kindling wood and you know small firewood for spring and fall. But anyway, uh, we uh, the the best time we had <clears throat> with the teepees we had. Uh, a fall campery at Hubble's. And, you know, I had the Weeblos at the time. They weren't up into Boy Scouts yet. And they, we got invited to a Boy Scout campery. And they have events. And there's 12, 15 events that you compete with other troops and all that. And troops come from Hamden, Hamden Walton, uh, Downsville, Roxbury. And, you know, it's, you know, it's probably 100, 150 kids at these things. And back when scouting was a big deal, but <clears throat> anyway, we <clears throat> brought these poles, and and it rained all weekend. But you know, this teepee was probably thirty feet 
you know, inside at the base. And uh, all we did is we took poles and uh, we set them up. You, you have to have a piece of rope about 30, 35, 40 foot. You know, get a 50 foot piece of rope and be your best bet. But, you know, and you tie the, the hardest part, you tie it to the end of the first one. You stand that up. And then somebody, you know, well, them long poles, it takes a couple of guys to stand them up. And once you get those first two lashed on top, because once they cross, you just walk around with the string and, and tie them. And then after you get your first two set, and then you have four set, and then you have a good sturdy frame, and you just throw them up there and keep walking the rope around and tying it up. But, you know, and uh, I just brought a... Uh, roll of black plastic heavy black plastic and you know we rolled it up you know from the bottom up so when the rain come down it didn't uh, and we had an old cowhide that uh, we used for the door and it wasn't really you know it wasn't cured it was just dried and it was kind of you know uh, I don't know where the heck I had it, but <clears throat> where I got it from. But, you know, I just had it, I think, from back in the farm days. It was something that, you know, we butchered a cow and I saved her hide and dried it out in the sun. And it, it was kind of, it was stiff. So it made a really good door for that. And uh, we were the highlight of that campery. I mean, everybody's piling in our tent. And, you know, all these guys went out on their events and, and uh, they got soaking wet, of course. It was poured rain all weekend. And, and uh, you know, they come in and they change their clothes and hang the wet ones around the because we put a clothesline all around the inside. And we had a fire pit in the middle. <clears throat> and, you know, you got to leave a two-foot opening on the top. And, you know, you figure, well, geez, you know, that's going to cause a lot of rain to fall through the hole. Well, the heat and... You know, uh, well, 25 foot on an angle, you know, it was about 15 feet, you know, from the ground up to the, uh, which made a good, you know, it's like a chimney without blocks. I mean, yeah. it just draws. Bad draw, huh? And you, at the base, you leave like a two-inch gap so that air comes in and the smoke will go out, <clears throat> you know, up through it. It's, it's like a big basically a big chimney so that's a that's an important part leaving a little bit of room at the bottom oh yeah Not very people would think about that. very important but you know in the winter you know the indians they used to when it got cold you know i did some research on it they would have you know hides and stuff and they would only leave little patches open you know when they you know, had a, a, they start the fire and it's really smoky, they'd lift it up and as soon as it got going and there wasn't a lot of smoke and a lot of hot embers, they closed most of the down, you know, the downside so the heat <clears throat> wouldn't go up through uh, the roof as fast. You know, it mainly just, you want it, you don't want it smoky in there, but <clears throat> it's amazing how they work. It's a beautiful design. Hmm. And, you know, after we made that first one at Hubble's, we took it every time we went to a campery so how do you get the poles in you, you just do one or two or three in the middle lash them you lash them on the ground obviously right no you uh how do you get up there then well you tie one yeah you tie uh you know tie it off to the first one you stand it up and then a couple of guys get on the other side and they cross it 
And then the guy with the rope just walks around and oh. lashes it. And then, you know, after you get the first, the first two are the hardest to set. And then after you set the rest, because all we did was he had a, a sledgehammer and we put a little pocket in the ground. You know, uh, you know, if you were building something permanent, you wanted to leave on your, you know, your property for the summer. You know, you might want to dig a hole maybe 10, 12 inches deep or at least eight. Put it in there and put stones around it and pack it in so, you know, if a wind comes, it won't lift it up out easy. But they're wind-resistant as well, as long as the door is closed. I mean, something with that design, the wind will hit it and, you know, sail away. It, you know, it, it doesn't, it's, it's not like a longhouse, a wind would, you know, a square building. Probably face them east instead of west, maybe around here, huh? Yep. Yeah. yeah, the door uh, on them, but, uh, you know, it was a, <clears throat> and they're relatively easy to make. I mean, if you want to make one for the little guys, you know, just, you know, cut some 12-foot poles and, you know, you have an eight, you know, six to eight, seven, eight, nine feet, you know, in the, in the, on the inside and, so, you know, the, the fireplace, long as you have a, a draft on the bottom, it'll suck up and go through the roof. But, you know, in a small TP, you don't want to put very much of a, a fireplace in that thing. But uh, I think in our TP with a 30-foot, you know, across the base, we had a fire pit that was probably two foot across. And, you know, we, you know, I was had the mill at the time, and I just brought <coughs> buckets of you know, a thirty-gallon barrels of uh, you know garbage cans of kiln-dried offcuts, and man, we just—it was a and the rain. We had a, a beautiful weekend, and you know that teepee was packed all the, all weekend long. All the Boy Scouts yeah. bailed on there. You know, we we could sl- we slept about eighteen kids in there too. Wow, and it was uh, very comfortable and cozy and. You know, wasn't uh, the Klondike Derby was probably the hardest. Uh, that's a that's usually we it was always ten to twenty below when we went on a Klondike Derby, and you really got to know your stuff. The Boy Scout or the the Cub Scouts weren't never allowed to go on those because they weren't educated enough to because you could really get sick. Yeah. And wow, hurt. what do you do on the Klondike? What's that? What do you do on the Klondike? Well, we have uh, all the same thing. We have, you know, axe throwing and, uh, you know, flint and steel and knot tying and all these events. And, you know, in the meantime, you know, we brought sleds and we always, the Klondike derbies were always at the end of uh, January, the beginning of February. It seemed like every time we planned one, it was, you know, 15 to 20 below. And it was a, it was a good event. And it really, uh, it taught the kids a lot about, you know, how to survive. And the most thing, if you are winter camping, uh, <clears throat> the the worst thing you can do is sleep in the clothes that you spent your day in. Because your body is, no matter how cold it is, and actually the more layers you put on, you're trapping moisture. And... When you go in your sleeping bag at night, <clears throat> you don't want to have one piece of clothing on that you wore that day. You put something dry on. And, 
Yeah, that was a hard lesson for some boys that, you know, didn't pay attention to that because, uh, I mean, they got sick in, in the middle. You know, they just start shivering at night, and it can lead to some pretty serious stuff. But, you know, as a leader, I kept an eye on it. <clears throat> and, you know, the goofy ones that thought, oh, not me. I, I used to, you know, when they went in their sleeping bag and, you know, I knew a couple hours later they were going to be shivering. And, you know, I would stay up and, and keep an eye on them. And, you know, when they started getting uncomfortable and, you know, moving back and forth and, and not sleeping, I would go over and say, okay, it's time to get in your dry clothes now. Yeah. Because <laughs> the last thing you want to do when you're having fun is run to a hospital. It kind of ruins, <laughs> ruins the whole flow of things. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you do have to let kids learn on their own because, you know, when kids that age, they know so much already that you can't teach them anything, you know. They, they know everything. And my grandpa, me, he always used to say, well, hire a teenager while they still know everything. <laughs> so, anyway, that was a, a good phrase, you know. Uh, but as you get older, you realize you didn't know so much. But you're you're kind of arrogant when you're a teenager and you know you're confused a lot too so you know i went through that and you know i get a physical every year and you know it's one of the major questions that they ask me is have you had any suicidal thoughts and the same answer i give every year not since i was a teenager <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh anyhow but teepees are a fun thing to to, uh, you know, you, you can actually, there's so many different wonderful fabrics out there that <clears throat> if you wanted to put something up and, you know, you could paint on them and, and uh, uh, put designs on them. And, I mean, you could, you know, do something just quick for the weekend or, you know, you could make one last all summer and just have a place to go in and, you know, even in the winter. I know Hoppy Quick has a permanent TP he put up, <clears throat> but he bought his it's a big canvas thing it's huge yeah and you know they they design and make them you can buy them and put them on your property too and, and he uses it to uh to uh carve his bears yeah out of the weather yeah Chainsaw. and spoons and all that other yeah. stuff he does yeah so uh but i don't does he live in there no i didn't think he lived in there no, but he just works in there and yeah. Stores his his tools and everything. Well, he has a bunch of uh, drummers on Friday night that sit around in, <laughs> in a circle and, <laughs> yeah. and drum. Yeah, I I listened to one of his uh, live podcast, whatever it is, one night, and they're really pretty talented. I mean, yeah. it's just uh, pretty cool. There are about at least twelve of them in there. Oh yeah, all with different kinds of drums, and huh. it was really quite you know quite interesting if you're just tuning in you're listening to from the forest tonight's topic is materials used to build a teepee with gary mead Reputations change the 
Tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Brian and Zane. Tonight's topic is materials used to build a teepee with Gary Mead. We talk to Gary every third Wednesday. This will be the last Wednesday before Christmas, I guess. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah, Merry Happy Christmas. Happy holidays and New Year. Uh, so before the show, we were kind of talking about, you know, longhouses and this neck of the woods were more prominent than teepees. I mean, teepees are great design. They're probably a, warmer than a longhouse. But the materials to build a teepee, uh, how many buffalo skins out west do you say, Ryan? You know, eight, ten buffalo? To, to uh, it says yeah. up to 28. Up to 28. I would think, I would think a, um, a longhouse could be made pretty warm, though. Right, yeah. If, if you put a lot of pelts on the inside. But, yeah, it was up to 28 buffalo skins, they're saying. That would take a lot of deer skins to yeah. cover. Yeah, so, and, you know, they use the, you know, they use deer skins for moccasins and clothing. And uh, so the longhouses were, were probably more prominent in this area. Yeah, you could use um, bark, but... I, I don't it would be I would think it would be hard to keep them on at such an angle of a teepee at that point, which is probably why roundhouses and and longhouses are more uh, practical because you can put bark on them right much yep. easier. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's all I know about about it. Well, you know more than you did before you talked about it. Yeah, but <laughs> buffalo uh, twenty nine. I would think that would make a pretty big teepee. You know. Yeah, that's probably like a. 35 40 foot base on those but you know there was one family that lived in a teepee at a you know they didn't have you know like the longhouses they had the whole community in there and the teepees you know basically they were, they were one family unit so what uh species did you use for the poles just whatever was there i mean they use white cedar you know if you buy a teepee I think they they use white cedar because it's water resistant, 
And the only thing that's you know gets wet is where you actually what sticks out of the top and what's uh, hits the ground because uh, you know the covering on the poles there's no uh, uh, there's no problem with them getting wet. And the thing about TP2 is you know you you know we went on our camperie we tied you know I had a bunch of clothesline rope and we strung that around about six foot off the off the floor and you know we put up clotheslines all around that thing and dried our clothes right off and yeah. you know they they would dry in an hour or so and you know uh, the boys would go out and do the events come in soaking wet get into dry clothes and an hour later their clothes that were soaked were all dry and but uh, you know we we dried clothes for other troops they come in and wanted to hang out and get warmed up and <clears throat> And, uh, you know, it was a, our teepee was one of the, the highlights of the whole thing. And, but my, my troop could tie knots. Those guys were amazing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had this one kid, each <coughs> Micah, his name was, and he just, I mean, he knew every knot and he'd tie them in seconds because everything was timed. And, uh, we went to an event, and it was a, actually the Klondike in the winter when basketball was going on. And previous scout leaders, they gave the kids a choice, scouts or sports. Well, I told the kids, I said, as long as you get here by, if you can make it here by, you know, 11, 30, 12, you know, go do your basketball and then come. And uh, so in the morning, we're going around to some events you know, a little light. I mean, one time we have, in most events, there's five scouts that will, uh, you know, participate in the, and then the, the Klondike Derby, we had the less kids of any, you know, uh, other event that we had because it was cold and a lot of kids didn't want to go out and, and challenge it. But So we had these three boys, and Micah was one of them, and we went to the knot tying, and there's five knots to tie, and and uh you know the, the the guy in charge of the event he goes oh i, I think you're gonna have to skip this one and uh we said no well we want to compete so he set us all up and uh we won first place and that with three guys tying five knots we we cut the fastest time with five guys in half and, you know, it's just like, it amazed me that these guys just, uh, you know, they were really good, but we had fun. And <clears throat> it wasn't like a a, a chore. And we really, uh, uh, I mean, scouting was was one of my favorite times. And raising my kids was probably the two most enjoyable times of my life. And, uh, you know, the grandchildren, it's not the same with them because... You don't go home to see them every night, but it's good to visit with them and whatnot. But when you have children and you you get to go home and see them every night and, and deal with some of their shenanigans and their thoughts and process of thought and thinking and, you know, children are probably the purest uh, human on the planet because they just say things as they feel them and it's pretty incredible 
And, uh, you know, uh, so anyway, for kids, I always wanted to keep things on the up and up and happy and and uh, uh, when they're when they're not you know too over organized they have more of a free spirit and they they can think better and and you know they participate and when you have fun with them you know they don't think about you know there's no despising and you know scolding and whatever it's just uh uh, it was a good time. We had a, a real good troop for years, and uh, those kids learned a lot. But you know, every time I had a new kid come in the troop, <clears throat> I would <clears throat> leave them alone and hide in the shadows and watch that new kid because kids are different around parents than they are around each other. So... I was, you know, in order to figure out where this kid was coming from, I'd just go in the shadows and I'd watch. And then, you know, when they're doing some dirtbag thing and blah, blah, and mm-hmm. pecking and whatever, I just approach him, pull him to the side and say, you know, I just watch you for the last half an hour. And you can do whatever the hell you want at your home, but when yeah. you come here, we're not doing that. I said, we're an, or- we're an organized group. And, you know, we we can't, I'm not allowing it. I mean, if you want to be here, let's be here, but you're not getting away with that. Yeah. I see how you are, <laughs> and, and that's it. Uh, You've been caught. Yeah. It's hard It's hard to do that. I, I go on the playground, and uh, I always try to let my kids go out yep. so they can't see me, just so they can assess kind of things on their own. Yeah. And at first they look back and they're like, and then they realize no one's watching me. <laughs> All right, and and but you know what the biggest problem with that is, though, Gary? What? It's other parents. Oh yeah. They start. I'll, I'll be like, oh, here we go. Here, here comes this other parent, and the parents looking around. They look at your kid like, oh, where's the parents on this kid? And I'm like, here we go. Man. <laughs> here we you go. Know, man. Uh, and they're like, hey, little kid, where's your parents? And then they're just like, oh, my God, you're ruining it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But I, I agree with that. Yeah, they do act differently. Yeah, they do. They need to feel how it is to be by themselves a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah it is, and it's good. But, you know, when they're, when they're out of line, you just, you know, talk to them, and they, they get it. And the respect that they have for you for not... I didn't get mad. I I just said, you know, I just seen what you did. <laughs> that was kind of not a nice thing to do. And maybe yeah. you want to try curbing that a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, but you know that kind of talk with a with a kid is is amazing. You know, because the, the, once they respect you and they know you're not going to hurt them or you know come down on them hard and you know reprimand them and you know. Well, the opposite. Put them in their too. tent and all that. If you see them doing good things when no one's watching. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I always praised them. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's uh, you know, kids are awesome little human beings. And uh, but anyway, uh, so. Well, they're also selfish. They are very <laughs> selfish. I mean, right? Isn't that the progression of humans? Right? I mean, yep. they start off caring only about themselves. Yeah. Some some humans never get over that. By the way, <laughs> they yep. can be eighty years old; they're still selfish. Yeah. But um, 
Yeah. Right? Don't you think? Yeah. They pretty much are, yeah. As you get older, hopefully you become more selfless. But, But, you know, Max told me one time, he said, at at his eagle ceremony, he said, you know what I like about my dad so much? He lets us fail. And he he sees us failing, and he just lets us fail. <laughs> lets so we in. know how it feels. Yeah. But then he comes in and he teaches us. You know, he, he said, yeah. uh, you know, he, he you know he lets us fall and skin our knee or whatever. And then he said, well, maybe uh, you know, if you yeah. do it this way, you might not have to go through that again. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, one quick thing about that, real quick. Uh, well, the little guy Tanner, he fell on the on the road, right? Scraped yep. his head. He's always scraping his head. So you need to stop doing that. You know, you got to put your hands out. Yeah. And learn how to fall. Put your hands out. Don't let your head. So about a week or so later, we go for a walk. Come back. <laughs> the poor little guy starts to fall. Right. He knows he's running. Whenever he starts running downhill, yeah, he falls. He starts to fall, and he knows. He's gonna hit his head. And instead of instead of crying, he goes, "Oh no, I did." As he's falling, he didn't even hit yet. And I said, "You knew you were gonna fall. Why didn't you put your hands out?" He's like, "I just couldn't get him out fast enough." Uh-huh. <laughs> but I knew that you were gonna be pissed. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah it's funny. That is funny as hell. Yeah. But no, nothing like a good head wound, though. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you want to learn to you want to learn how to fall. Yeah. And Do you know in the Marines, when I was in, they did falling exercises? Yeah. Trust falls? Because I don't think kids fall. So, no. I mean, you know, that was already 20 years ago. That's year 2000, 299. Yeah. But a lot of kids don't know how to fall. They had us. I was like, this is the stupidest thing. We're going to go kill the enemy, and they're teaching us how to fall? Yeah. When did we get to shoot rifles? <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Before we got to any of that crap, they were like, no, you guys are going to learn how to fall because yeah. we're not going to assume anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, they think we're so stupid. They are really building us from the bottom up. We don't even know how to fall. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to drink any more water. I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but they did. Yeah, and it is important to learn how to fall. Good Lord. And, you know, roll and tuck and roll and whatever. But, tuck you know, all those little things that really you don't think mean much yeah. are monumental when you get, you know, into your older protect age. Check your, your noggin. Because you know, I know how to fall and, you know, I'm, you know, people in their late 60s and 70s and 80s, we fall a lot. <laughs> we trip on steps that, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> and yeah. I'm always yelling at myself, pick your damn feet up. <laughs> <laughs> You're just tuning in to listen to From the Forest. Tonight's topic is materials used to build a teepee with Gary Mead. <clears throat>
Just tuning in, you're listening to From the Forest every Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and Zane. Tonight we're talking to Gary Mead like we do every third Wednesday about building a teepee. Right. Well, we didn't talk about a site yet, so you probably don't want to build it where it's wet. Uh, you might want to stay on higher ground somewhere, you know, on a knoll or something where it, you know, it doesn't get water. If it does rain, it's not going to flood you. You know, just pay attention to that, and you know, on a you know a flat spot rather than a you know a, a hill. And uh, what else could we talk about? Well, Doorway reducing. So, well, if you want to reduce the draft, you can just have you know f- uh, flaps around the outside to close up, or you know maybe if you had small logs that you could roll in into the holes from the inside mm-hmm. you know if it's raining it's, a, oh, it's pretty windy you might want to close some of that draft off and it would still you know let the smoke out but mostly when you first start your fire is when you get the most smoke so kind of after that yeah. you know you can close that down and and uh you know when you put a log fresh log on maybe open up a couple get the draft going and but it's so warm in there in the, in those things, and uh, you know the when it was pouring rain that weekend, no rain comes through that two foot opening we had on top because yeah, the air's coming out right. The air's pushing it out, and the heat's you know evaporating it as yeah. it goes up through. It's a it's a beautiful design. And, uh, you can make them. I mean, if you're getting a lot of rain, you could. They say you can make them at a slight angle. It takes practice, though, I guess, but... A slight angle? Just a very slight angle, the teepee itself. Right, yeah. I don't know. So that the top is kind of covering the oh, flap hole a little bit. That's yeah. what I was reading. Very slight angle, but that takes, like, I'm sure, I don't know. I would take a little bit of experience to do, I would think. Probably, yeah, yeah. You know. Well, if you're doing something in your backyard, and I know, I, I'm sure that kids will get a kick out of, you know... Yeah. Going out on their lawn and staying overnight, and oh, yeah. in a in a little teepee, and you know, it don't have to be that big. You get some canvas, yeah. You know, say canvas or plastic, and I mean yeah. you can tarp, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, could tarp. Yeah, and they you all know, those you can you know, have kids paint on them, and you know it could turn into like a, a like a project, and they would learn so much from doing it too. And, uh, you know, the fun and to build something yourself instead of pitching a tent, you know, building a teepee that you made yourself and the fire pit inside, that's that's one of the most thrilling parts of the whole event is you go inside this building and you start a little fire and it's just, a, you know, it's a, it's a feeling of freedom for sure. Uh, anchoring the bottom. Yeah, if... Uh, if you didn't sink them in the ground, you had high wind, you know, you could put stakes in the ground and, you know, uh, you know, wooden stakes and lash a rope from the bottom, you know, to the stake to hold it down, too. That wouldn't be a bad idea if it Just got a little windy. A little bit of history while we're doing it real quick. TP, I guess, in Lakota means they dwell. It's a... Uh, Basically, the Plains Indians were the only ones uh, that all that used them all year round, and it really only started 
from the 17th century once horses and guns became common, mm -hmm. known as mounted nomads, uh, could, because it could easily be disassembled and transported. Um, as far as, like we said before, 28 up to 28 buffalo skins, so that's why buffalo are kind of important. Yeah. Even the canvas was used even back in the 1800s by Native Americans as well. But they also used uh, bark and reed mats for coverings. And mostly, according to uh, this source, the women were responsible for the TV construction and maintenance. Wow. I'll tell you, man. Yeah. The men, they hunted. <laughs> Make sure that teepee's up by the time I get back. You know, I, I read about the Lenape in uh, Herbert Kraft's book, um, which is the official book, I guess. The, the women did all the maple sugaring and, and all the tanning. Yeah. And all the farming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw in a, in a, in a movie the heck? where this Indian said, I don't know, a white man come along and, and, you know, they started, you know, doing all the women's work and he said geez we had it made before they got here all we did was hunt <laughs> you know we go out hunting and bring this thing home and they washed the clothes and, and you know made the bread and and whatever and he said well they they have a white man come and ruin that all for us <laughs> but yeah. that was just a movie you know like, just a movie a lot of that's made up well if, if you do want to read more there is a <laughs> I lent that book to someone and it is gone. It's too bad because I'm pretty sure it's expensive as hell. But um, the Lenape by Herbert Kraft. All right. And uh, as far as I remembered, it was on the Lenape's homepage as the book they they recommended as well. Yeah. But um, that's the book, man. That's that's it. Really goes into a lot of this stuff. It's not teepees, of course. Yeah. Because they didn't use those. But, yeah, very interesting if you ever want to really learn a lot about them. Yeah. So, anyway. So, I have a poem if you want to. Yeah, go ahead. If you got, got it. about a few minutes. Yeah, I can get this out. Right. This, this is called Poor Boy. I just wrote this 12-12-23. Poor boy raised on Catskill Mountain Dairy Farm. Not my calling being born into that life. Story of so many seldom told. Pockets full of promises to hold. A pure hard life, sun up to sundown. Early mornings and late nights endured. Switch suddenly turned on in my brain. At age 17, leaving the family farm. Striking out on my own, scared to the bone. First time ever, felt so broken, so alone. Wheeled out the door just the same. Sometimes just gotta do what you gotta do. And spirit suddenly came changing my destiny. No idea at the time what was in store for me. No more than a boy with a dream. Did not stop to sink or waver my integrity. What can one possibly know at age 17? Parents, sisters, brothers at first did not understand. And the love we had for each other never left home. Milking cows, putting up bales of hay and working the farm. That's all I ever knew before that turn of events. Life changing drastically from the life I knew, having only clothes on my back and a pack of cools. Lean and mean with body and attitude of steel. New way of life I was getting used to. Only thing I knew for sure I would endure. Failing was not an option for what it was worth. Fell in love with my soulmate to hold on to. We were going to save our world together our way.
Ups and downs, life here on earth, changes along the way, was life as it were. Winters in the Catskill Mountains were endured, forced to be reckoned with, handed down from birth. First memory, an ocean, someone always watching me and hoping to make proud whomever that would be. Lifestyle working hard while loving everyone out loud, learned not to judge anyone as I went along. My voice communicating through wooden words, knock, knock, knocked on many, many doors. Last door knocking, heavens in the end, cup overflowing with mountain spring water, realizing to conclude we were never poor. Unconditional love as mountain spring water is so very pure. And that's my poem. And Merry Christmas to everybody. All right. And that's and all. Happy New Year. That's all the time we have on From the Forest. And see you next week. We'll have Peter Marks come on and talk about fishing on the uh, East Branch, Delaware. All right. Have cool. a good night. Delia IOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Sam's and Fleischmann's. Sam's Country Store Deli and Gas Station. Open every day for groceries, Mexican herbs, local craft beer, and with food to go, sandwiches, tortas, and tacos, and tamales on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sam's on Main Street in Fleischmann's. Sam'sCountryStoreNY.com. What the soap? WTS and Company in Wyndham for soaps and skincare products made on site, handcrafted candles, pottery, jewelry, art, and gifts, with a wide selection of books on homesteading, fermentation, and local history. Upcoming events at the WTS Facebook page, WTS and Company in the Red Barn on Main Street in Wyndham and online at whatthesoap.com. Home Goods of Margaretville, corner of Main and Bridge Streets in Margaretville, New York. Now carrying spices, flour, jams, mustards, coffee and tea, organic vegetables and fruits, and local eggs, milk, cheese, and baked goods. And, of course, cooking basics and tools of the trade for everyone at home. Home Goods of Margaretville. Open every day. 845-586-4177 or hgom.net. Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Shelia, and we host Pop-Up. Great pop music from the past, present, and occasionally the future. Wednesday mornings from 10 